to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 20th of March 2011, entitled, Defending Our Position Before God. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the, uh, the entire 22 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. We certainly won't have time to uh, expositionally look at all of those verses this evening, uh, but we want to take some thoughts from it this evening that I hope will be a blessing to you. Let me invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word beginning in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Father, we thank you so much this evening, Lord. We realize that, Lord, there are some tremendous, powerful truths in this chapter. Lord, as we take our focus this evening, as we try to pick out a few things, Lord, that, Lord, that you would have us to, to speak here this evening under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know the needs of the hearts. You know what is needed. I pray that you would take and use this time for your glory and for your honor. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, as you're seated, our simple thought this evening really is defining our position before God. Defining our position before God. Now, often in life, it's necessary for us to define our position on something or the other, to explain our position and the reason that we hold that position. In some cases, in many cases, that's simply uh, an intellectual or an emotional stance. But it is to some degree or another where we stand on a specific matter. That's important. We've seen in much of the passages that we've looked at in God's Word, and we've talked about the importance of taking a stand, of taking a position on the fundamentals of the faith. That's important, but the position that I'm speaking of this evening in defining our position before God, I'm going a step further than that, if you would. You see, anyone, anywhere, in order to function in some kind of a, a capacity, whether it be in school or whether it be at work, whether it be in life, we need to know what our position is, and we need to understand that position. Different positions bring with it different privileges as well as different responsibilities and certainly different consequences. You see, it's as simple as, are you the employer or the employee? Are you the captain of the ship or are you a deckhand? Are you the cop or the robber? Are you the cowboy or the Indian? <laughs> are you innocent or guilty. I think you get, you get the idea that we're talking about that in order for you to function, you've got to know who you are and what that position entails. As we look into this passage tonight, I'm speaking about the most important position of all. Your individual position in life, and more specifically, your position in life before Almighty God. How does God see you? 
Who does God see? Because he sees the real you better than anybody else, better than what you see when you look in the mirror, better than what I see when I look in the mirror. Yesterday, my wife and I celebrated 34 years on our anniversary. Simple truth is, is that still, after all of those years, we don't have an inkling about each other of what God knows about each of us. God knows our heart better than we know it. And I'm just asking you simply this evening as we begin, and hopefully by the end you can answer this, when God looks at you in God's presence, what does God see? You see, if you're to function in life, in this spiritual realm, to some degree, you need to know and understand your position. I want us to go back here, first of all, and I want us to just read these first six verses again. It says, and you, speaking specifically, of course, the Apostle Paul was writing to the saints in the church at Ephesus, and you, his children, the Christians that are in this church, you hath he quickened, made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, word in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, he begins here, we've got to realize what position are we in, dead or alive? He said, you were all dead at one time before God quickened you and made you alive. Are you walking according to the course of this world? Or are you seated in heavenly places? Are you following the prince of this world? Or are you following the king of glory? Are you living in the lust of the flesh? fulfilling the desires of your flesh and your mind? Or are you living in the love and the mercy of God, fulfilling His will and His desires? Are you a child of disobedience and wrath? Or are you a child of God, a child of the King as we sang there earlier? You see, 
today, right now, every one of us here, you're either in the world or you are in Christ Jesus. One of the two. You are either in the flesh or you are in Christ Jesus. Every individual here is either dead in sin or alive in Christ Jesus. Your position means everything. It means more than any other position containing to anything else in all the world. And in order to function in any true capacity, you need to know and understand that position this evening. You see, if you are functioning to whatever capacity that you are in this world without Jesus Christ, may I simply challenge you this evening to examine your position? You see, you need to at least be honest and recognize your position, the privileges that it extends to you, and the practice that is expected of you, whatever we're talking about in life. Certainly when it talks about our spiritual position before God. You see, examine your position. Look deep inside and be honest this evening. We've just gone through all of these. These were all taken right here in these first few verses of this chapter. You're either one or the other. Are you dead or alive? Are you feeding your lusts, your desires, or God's? Are you walking in the flesh? Or are you walking in the Spirit? You see, the first thing, the first thing that you've got to do is to be honest with where you are right now. Now, if you're in this world, if you're in your flesh without the Lord Jesus Christ, what privileges does that extend to you? Well, Satan will give you some privileges as a lost person. Sure he will. We just got through reading about some of them. He'll give you the privilege to Fulfill all those hideous, sinful, fleshly desires that you have to focus upon feeding the flesh. And that's much of the kind of society that we live in today. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels good to you. And don't worry about anybody else or the consequences that it brings. That's the privileges. If you're sitting here as a dead person, if you're sitting here in the flesh rather than in Christ, hey, i got to tell you, Satan doesn't lie about the fact that some of those sinful privileges, hey, they can be fun. They really can. Your flesh can enjoy them immensely, at least for a little while, for a while. If you're willing to pay the price, because it will cost, if you're willing to face the ultimate consequences, then you're more than welcome to do it. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Moses had to deal with that same thing, you know. 
He had to recognize the truth of the kind of privileges that he had on the one hand in this world and on the other hand in God. Notice what he says here in Hebrews chapter 11, picking up in verse 24. He says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He had a choice. You know, if he went with God's people, they were slaves. They were literally, literally being, being treated as the dirt has come. Or here he could live in the palace with all of the great privileges that went with it. But rather than to be called Pharaoh's daughter and have all of the privileges of the power and riches of that land at that day, he chose rather the afflictions of the people of God rather than to have those pleasures which he knew, yes, the Bible says to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Notice what it says next. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Wow. He'd rather be reproached for Christ rather than to enjoy all the treasures in Egypt that could be his. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward because he knew what the price was in the end. He knew what the end was. He knew what it would cost him. And right now there was such a difference in the consequences of the choice and the position that he took that right now he would rather suffer with God's people and have none of the treasures of this world than to have all that the world could give him and have to pay the price at the end of it. Because though there could be some joy for now, it wasn't going to last long. By faith, the Bible says he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. <laughs> Faced the wrath of the king here, but boy, his eyes were on something else, another king. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch him. He had seen God's chastisement before. He didn't want it to touch him. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. You know, it wasn't even the next world. It wasn't even in the next world that those Egyptians had to pay their price. It was in this world. Moses recognized he recognized this evening, and you see the simple truth, every human being alive has the same choice to make. Every human being alive is either in the flesh or in Christ Jesus. There is nowhere else that we can exist. Your joy for a season has a price, and it has an ultimate 
consequence that you should consider. You see, I have, I have people come sometimes and, folks, the, the price of sin can be far higher. The devil will never show, never show you what is at the end of the road. He'll show you the joy and the fun, the excitement. Boy, you can have a great time right now. But where does it end? Well, we know that ultimately, Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Dead or alive? Wages of sin is death. Gift of God is eternal what? Life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the only option. The wages are there. You see, the consequences that face is that when you leave this world, there is, there is no choosing then. There is no option. The wages of sin is death. But the sad thing is, many times, even before you get there, the consequences of sin can be lasting. You know, the simple truth is, is that you can get forgiveness from God, but you can still have the consequences of that sin that you were involved in still in your life. They don't just go away. We find that here the position must be examined. Everybody's somewhere. And yes, I'm challenging you this evening because nobody in all the world knows what your position is except you. There are certain privileges that are extended to you, and if you choose to be in the flesh, there are certain things that you'll get for that. You'll get some gratification in your flesh. You'll get some fun times, but you're going to pay a high price price? Do you want the treasures of this world, the fun of this world, the gratification of your flesh now, or do you want eternity with Him? What practice is expected of you? Well, if you're in the flesh, not much really. Just like the the devil and most of the world that you see all around you, just follow the crowd and you'll be fine. That's all you got to do is go with the rest of them. But if you follow them, realize you might follow them straight into the pits of hell. I don't say that to see me. That's just the honest truth. That road that leads to destruction, that's where most of them are going. We don't say that with pride. The simple truth is, is it's our responsibility to try to get as many of them as we possibly can off of that road. But where do you want to go this evening? What are the other options? You can trust Christ. You can allow your position before God to be changed immediately and eternally through Jesus Christ. What did he say there? I like, I, I like, you know, Romans, he uses those words a lot of times. He gives you this really bleak, dark picture, and then he puts those two words, but God. <laughs> but there's an alternative. Verse 4 said, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus the option. There is only one option. There is only one other position. 
And there is only one way that you can get there, and that is through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to recognize your position. You've got to recognize where you're at, and you've got to realize that there is absolutely nothing that you can do about changing it. But Jesus Christ came that you might be able to change that position for eternity. Jesus Christ came. The wages of sin is death. So he came and died in your place to pay for your sins. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. Jesus Christ came and shed his own pure blood so that your sins could be atoned for. Jesus Christ, when they put him away in that tomb, the third day, Brother Steve, he rose victoriously. He conquered death. His sacrifice was sufficient, and it was proof evidence when he came out of there alive. And so you see, you do have an alternative this evening, dead or alive. There's only the two positions. You can continue to function in the flesh and the world, or you can function in Christ Jesus If you're to function in Christ this evening, and therefore if you're to function in his body, you need to know and understand that position. And that's where I really want us to focus for the next few minutes. We've seen that you are either in sin and spiritually dead, or you're in Christ Jesus, spiritually alive. You're either in the flesh and dead or in Christ and alive. If you're not in Christ, you need to understand not only the position that you're in, but the options that you have. If you're here this evening, and I trust and pray that that's where I'm speaking to the majority of you, that you know that you're already in Christ Jesus. You know that with certainty because there's been a time in your life when you recognize that that was your only hope and you put all your faith and trust in what he did for you. You need to understand what that really means and how that affects your life right now, not just in eternity when you're with him in heaven. You see, we look at the position of the dead person. Well, let's look at the position the position in Christ Jesus. As we examine that, you see, he said there in verse 6, in Christ Jesus. I've underlined those words, and I've put marks around them in my Bible. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, in Christ, he says, we've been raised together with him. In Christ, we're sitting together with him in heavenly places. Notice what he says in verse 10. We read that earlier. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God this evening, that's where life was given to you. Created in him. Notice what he says there in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh 
by the blood of Christ. In Christ Jesus, he says, you're, you're brought near. You were far off. You were alienated. But by his blood, in him you're brought near. What does that term mean? In Christ Jesus, positionally, before God, every, every human being, you're in one of two positions. You're either in your own flesh, your own Adamic flesh that you have physically been born with, or you are in Christ Jesus. When God sees you, there are no other options. Either you are there and he sees you, along with all of your sins, by the way, or he sees Christ Jesus. We find that to be in Christ, folks, that's to be so closely identified with him, listen to me, that God doesn't even see you apart with Christ. He doesn't even see you apart from him. He only sees you in Christ Jesus. How does that work, preacher? Well, let me explain it this way. Every one of you, I know, you're here, you're alive, your heart's beating, right? <laughs> you were born in the flesh, so I know you've all got a mother somewhere. <laughs> Guess where you spent the first nine months of your life? In your mother. You couldn't survive outside of her. You could only survive there. When people looked, you were there. You were alive. I believe from the moment of inception, you were a living human being. But people couldn't see you, though you were just as much alive as you are right here, right now. They saw your mother because you were in your mother. We find that you use I I I picked this box because it's nice and shiny and gold. We're not we're not talking about facial. I'm not trying to uh, create a uh, an idol here or anything. But I want you just for a moment to pretend that's Christ Jesus. That golden box is Christ Jesus. And, and that black chair right there is the throne of God. That's the throne room in heaven in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible says that he's right there, the right hand of God. The Bible says that we, in Christ Jesus, are seated together with him in heavenly places. What is he talking about? Just as surely, just like I explained before. Because you see, inside of that box, you can't see anything. That's me. <laughs> I know it doesn't look a whole lot like me. Turn it that way. That's got my figure right anyway, nice and slim and trim. <laughs> but that's me. See? And the simple truth is, is that God looks down here and he sees all of us. There's only two ways that he can see you. He can see you on your own, in your flesh, with all of your sins. Or he sees Christ because you're in Christ. And when he looks, he only sees Christ because you're in him. Nothing 
nothing, nothing can get you out of there. Nothing can ever remove you from there. You see, he, does, he no longer sees any of that sin because you're in Christ Jesus. That's the simple picture that he's trying to give us positionally, spiritually. If we look at ourselves, we don't see that. That's why the only way, we're going we're to look at some of the privileges here. The only reason you got those privileges is because Christ has got them. Because you're in him. Just like when you were in your mother's womb. Wherever she went, you went. <laughs> you couldn't be left behind. You were there. The simple truth is, is that Christ Jesus, he's there in the flesh, in our natural birth, in the sinful flesh. God sees all of us, every one of us, but in Christ. You see, when he sees that human being in the flesh, they're still outside of Christ. He sees all that sin. But guess what he sees when he looks for my sin? Because I'm in Christ, all he sees is the perfect, holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not because that's what I am in the flesh, but because I'm in him. And that's what he is. And as a child of God this evening, when God looks at you, he only sees perfect, holy righteousness if you're in Christ Jesus. But if you're outside of him, then he sees you. When does that change take place for the believer? Well, he gives us a couple clues here. Notice, first of all, in verse 5, he says that we're quickened, we're made alive together with Christ. And then he tells us in verse 6 that we were raised up together with Christ. Now, verse 10 says that we were created in Christ Jesus. And verse 13 says that we were brought near by the blood of Christ. According to these verses, there's no doubt it's all tied together with Jesus Christ dying, shedding his blood, and then rising from the dead. Now turn over a few pages in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And notice what he says here in verse 9 and 10. He says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, that's pretty mind-boggling if you try to 
Think about it for a minute. This position that the believer has in Christ, that position that we have in him, when that's, that's all that God sees is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been given, he said, according to God's own purpose and grace. And then those next words says, before the world began. God purposed it. God planned it. God performed it. It had absolutely nothing to do with us. And it had everything to do with him and his grace. Before the world even was in existence, God had looked down through the millenniums and God had seen you and God had purposed in his heart this position for you in his son Jesus Christ. But it's however, he said, made manifest. In other words, it's revealed and brought about, he says in that next verse, by Jesus Christ. Christ through the gospel. You see, God planned and put everything in place for your salvation before he ever even created this world. Jesus Christ, he came and revealed it and brought it about when he came and shed his blood on Calvary when he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. That's when it was revealed. God had already planned it before anything was in existence, but it was revealed and brought about by Jesus Christ when he came to this world and died for your sins and rose the third day. There and then is where our position as believers in Christ was settled. Then and there. However, it's only through the gospel and you see, the gospel is an individual thing down to you. It's only through the acceptance of that gospel personally in an individual's life that it's appropriated to you. Get this picture. Before anything was, God was. And as God looked down and saw you, God planned for your salvation he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish everything that was necessary. That's when that plan was brought about. Jesus accomplished it all. And then for every believer, the greatest and most important thing that you have to do with every breath that you've got in this life is to give that gospel message to someone else because it's the only way through the gospel. That's the only way it can be appropriated to your life. Now, you, see, you see, that's why it becomes hard, okay? Wow, when did I get that position? Well, before the world began. God had already planned it, and that's as good as done. But then it was when Jesus Christ died and paid for your sins and rose the third day, that's when it was brought about. 
But now, here, only through the gospel, the moment, I mean the instant, that you'll genuinely repent and turn from your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that moment, you'll never, ever, ever be able, because up until that time, it's just you that God sees. It's just you. But at that instant, you're in Christ forever. God will never see you and your sinfulness again. God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because by faith, you're there in Him. So we find that that's pretty amazing. We stop and think and we look at what God has done for us. It's pretty amazing. That clock moves so fast up there on the wall. So I'm not going to turn to all these verses. I want you. To, I want to just remind you. If you're here as a Christian, it ought to make you shout. Let people think you're Pentecostal. That's all right. It ought to make you happy. It ought to make some joy come from you. And if you're here and you're not, I hope this evening that you can recognize and realize just what it is, at least own up to your position. I've already given you the privileges that can be yours if you want to stay in the flesh. But notice the privileges he gives us here if we're in Christ. You see, in verse 5, he says that we were dead, but we've been raised up and made alive. You can stay dead, or if you're in Christ, you can be alive. You can write these down if you want. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Praise God, he tells you that you're forgiven. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, you've received the righteousness of Christ that we talked about earlier. That's why that you're no longer dead, but you've been made alive. Then in verse 6, he says that we're sitting together in heavenly places. We'll look back just probably a page in your Bible, to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There it is again, in Christ. <laughs> We're seated in heavenly places. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that is possible. In verse 7, we're confident of God's grace and kindness in the ages to come. We also find that if we look back, and we'll notice, notice there in, uh, in verse 7, first of all, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ. Back in chapter 1, he says there in verse uh, uh, 16, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He hath put all things under his feet 
He gave him to be the head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. To inherit the riches of Christ. He'll tell you in chapter 3, verse 6, that you join heirs with Christ. The security. You know, when he places you there, when he gives you all of this grace and all the ages to come, nothing can get you out of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 11 to 13, he says you've been brought near by the blood. Back in Ephesians chapter 1 again, verses 5 and 6, he talks about being accepted. You're brought near and you're accepted in the beloved. Verses 14 to 17, that we're reconciled and made to be at peace with God. In verse 18, we're given access to the Father. Verse 19, we're made to be fellow citizens. Verses 20 and 21, we're part of the building of the church, of the body of Christ. Verse 22, we're indwelt by God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can take those privileges that are, folks, <laughs> that's nothing. That's just what we skimmed out of this chapter, the privileges that are yours in Christ, and compare them to what? Satan is offering you in the flesh. You see, I like what in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, it's kind of, it's kind of summed up. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In the Lord Jesus Christ, you're complete. You've got everything that you need. You know, in newborn, well, in, in normal circumstances, <laughs> when newborns develop and they're born, they've got all their, their limbs and their organs and everything that they need to function as a human being. They just need to grow. Babies grow. And as they grow, they mature, and they're able to do more and more things with it. I think that too many today think that there's some kind of spiritual polywogs. Everybody know what a polywog is? Ever seen a polywog or tadpole? <laughs> it's just, it, it, it looks like this little, it's this little amphibious, looks like a fish. In actual fact, it's the larva stage. You can look at it all, and, and the simple fact is that it begins swimming around acting like a fish. And then before you know it, suddenly a leg grows out of it, and then an arm grows out of it. And it just literally starts metamorphosizing before their eyes, and guess what it turns into? A frog with all of its parts. But he's not born with those parts. He's got some fins and things on him. I used to catch tadpoles as a, as a kid. But the thing is, is that that's not the way it is with humans. That's not the way it is with Christians. What we're saying is you are complete in Christ. Stop and think. You don't need to grow any more arms or legs or anything else to function. You, you've got everything that you need in Christ. You're complete. All that we need is some more growth and some more maturity because none of us 
None of us are Jesus Christ yet. A few people have claimed to be. None of us have made it there yet. And that's the difference. Peter put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. You see, in Christ, the privileges that are extended, you've got everything that you need. And I don't have time really for this one tonight, but the practice that's expected of us. <laughs> the practice that's expected of us. We saw what it was with, if you're in the flesh, man, just go with the crowd. Do what you want to do and don't worry about it. Of course, here in verse 10 it says, For we are His workmanship, <clears throat> created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Being in Christ ought to make a difference. Notice what he says in the next chapter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. He says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, as we've been seeing in our study of the Holy Spirit, simple truth is, is that it ought to make a difference in our lives. And we can look at other passages. Look at Colossians 1, 10 to 14. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. The Bible tells us time and again that we ought to recognize the calling. I'll give you this illustration in closing. Most of you know that I, of course, I spent five years in the military as a young man. And you know, the simple truth is, is that when you put on that uniform, there were some things that were expected of you. One of the very first things that we had to learn in boot camp was literally to go through and memorize and know everything in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It was a book that basically had all the expectations, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And, of course, one of the things that was covered in there was the fact that as an airman, in my case, or as a soldier, that you could be court-martialed for conduct unbecoming in one place, an officer and a gentleman. And, of course, that same rule, conduct unbecoming, applied to an airman or a soldier, as a matter of fact, you can read police officers are dismissed from the force because of conduct unbecoming an officer, speaking of the police officer. The same thing with teachers. 
Many people, when you take a certain position, certain things are expected of you. You couldn't put on the military uniform of that country and then just go out and do whatever you wanted to because you weren't just representing you any longer. And I'm saying to you that if we are in Christ, there's some things that are expected of us. We ought to take pride in the high calling. <laughs> pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. What do people see? If God sees us in Christ, I'm saying, what do other people, when they look at your life, do they see you in the flesh? Or do they see the Christ that you're in? Maybe instead of the uniform, uniform code of military justice, we ought to have a uniform code of Christian service. <laughs> Simple truth is, turn out the Bible. Look through this Word of God. You'll find that there are things that are expected of us as a child of God. We ought to take pride in who we are, that we're not ourselves anymore, that we don't just represent me we represent him to this world around us. Your position in Christ is as perfect and complete as it can be. Your spiritual growth has zero effect. It does not affect nor alter your position. Your salvation spiritually gives you that position before God. But that spiritual growth very, very much affects your practice and what the others see when they look at your life. We can say we love Him. We can say we belong to Him anywhere. But are we living up to the standards of who we represent? Can you define your position this evening? Are you willing to truly define your position and acknowledge what that position means? Christians, boy, what a glorious thing to know that God sees you in Christ. The wonderful privileges that are yours as a result of that. My greatest challenge to you this evening is are we living up to the standard that's expected of us? But if you're here and you don't know that you're in Christ, my challenge is to you. You can keep on in the flesh if you want to. You can enjoy the things that are there for a season. Or you can change your position for all of eternity in Jesus Christ. Enjoy the, the privileges that come with that position. And, of course, the responsibilities are greater. We said right in the beginning, the responsibilities change with the positions that you hold. If you're the president of the company, there's a little bit more expected of you than if you're the one sweeping the floor. As human beings, one is worth just as much as the other. 
But I'll guarantee you whoever owns that company is going to expect more from one than the other because of what he's paying him for what he's doing. There's more expected of us as God's children. But boy, that which we get, that which is ours, is worth it all. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord, as we have looked at this passage. And I pray, Lord, that in this, that somehow that you take and through these verses, allow the believers here this evening to rejoice in their position that they have in Christ, a position that, Lord, can never, ever, ever change. And I pray that it would challenge all of us to, to practice, to practice, to live up according to that position that we've been given. And, Lord, for those that are here that don't have that certainty of knowing, Lord, that as you look at them this evening, you see them and you see their sin. Oh, I pray they'd be challenged most of all to come to recognize the position they can have in the Lord Jesus Christ, that by your love, by your mercy, by your grace, you've offered that to them. But here this evening, they have a choice. Will they accept it? Will they receive it? Or will they reject it? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.